Sangram here, super excited. On March 4th, we launched account-based marketing foundations course on LinkedIn in partnership with LinkedIn. There are 19 videos, four minutes and under. So literally in an hour, you can be account-based marketing certified if you have a LinkedIn account. So again, I don't need your email address or anything like that. You can literally go on LinkedIn. If you have a premium account, you can do it for free. If you don't have a premium account, then you can get a 30-day free subscription to that and they will let you take the course. And then you can put that certificate on your LinkedIn saying that you are account-based marketing certified. So good luck. Check it out. It's only going to last for 30 days. So I'm going to have this snippet run for the next few weeks and then it will be gone. So if you want to take this course for free, check it out, go. And this is going to make and change the way you do marketing in your organization. To a certain extent, I think, Derek, it, it, it means you have to kind of ABM yourself. Right. So to get change across a complex buying committee inside your own organization. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Thursday. And in these episodes, we focus on one of two things. We'll either be sharing one of our favorite and most actionable talks from a Flip My Funnel event or you'll hear Sangram and someone from the Terminus team discuss how they're getting better in a specific functional area of Terminus's business. And remember, like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram here. Super excited about this podcast because this is really going to give you more insight into what's happening in the world of account-based marketing since 2016. We have been doing a survey every single year from 2016, 17, and now 18. And we have seen some incredible trends that my friends Matt Hines from Hines Marketing and Derek Slayton, CMO at Terminus, are going to discuss so they did a webinar on this whole thing. So we thought, why not just turn that into a podcast episode? So here it is for you from both Matt and Derek. Here you go. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining our webinar, Critical Insights from the 2018 State of ABM. And without further ado, I'll introduce our speakers, Derek Slayton, CMO here at Terminus, as well as our special guest, Matt Hines, president of Hines Marketing. Thank you, Tori. Thanks very much, everyone, for joining us today. Uh, for those of you on live, as well as those listening on demand, really, uh, thank you for, for joining us. I think we got some exciting research we want to share about the evolution and maturity of ABM, and we'll be sharing some anecdotes and best practices along the way. But um, Derek, it's, it's great to be here with you. Yeah, thanks, Matt. We're happy to be sharing the results of the survey with everyone. Thanks to you and, and Hines for partnering with us on uh, fielding and analyzing and then generating the report and the intelligence from the survey. Uh, I think, as you mentioned, this industry is changing rapidly and it's always great to not only look at what we see from folks out there telling us what they're doing, but also share hopefully some some insights as to how we've helped our customers and both of us collectively in that regard uh, deal with some of those some of those issues or roadblocks they're hitting as they're going through their account-based journey. And uh, Excited to kind of rip through that today with you and the and the folks on the phone. And also that silky smooth voice of, of the uh, intro was Tori Dye, who runs ABM here at Terminus. So we may call on Tori to share some of his thoughts on how he's dealing with some of the challenges and insights from the report as well. 
I have a feeling uh, Tori has a new nickname in the office. I'll be known as hashtag Silky Smooth. Um, <laughs> perhaps make that stick. Yeah, no, I think, um, and I know you guys see this with your customers, and we certainly see this with our clients and companies we talk to, that you know, people that are doing account-based work are at various stages of maturity themselves. And I think when you stare at your same four walls, sometimes it's really easy to think, boy, everyone else is doing it better. Everyone else is doing it differently. What are we doing wrong? And I think, right. you know, there's always people doing it better. There's always people doing it worse. But I think one of the benefits of this kind of a survey is to get a sense for where everybody else is, uh, where we are as an industry. So you can benchmark where you are and get a little bit of a sense of, you know, what you could be doing next to scale the impact and predictability of ABM efforts moving forward. So, you know, talk a little bit, Derek, I mean, about, you know, what were some of the things that you were looking for when we started this project that you wanted to uncover? Well, I think I think first and foremost, probably just a, a general understanding of where the industry as a whole is and, and also how it's changed. I mean, we've run this survey now for three consecutive years. So it's always, it hasn't been the exact same survey as we've learned how to field better questions, but for the questions that do carry over, it's always very interesting to me, not only to know where we are, but how that's how that's changed from where we were and and what the trend looks like, you know, if you can read the tea leaves as to where we're going in the future and what, you know, what people need to to address in order to get there. So I was really interested just to see, you know, where companies were on on their overall maturity and then also, you know, some of the qualitative input that they gave us on what they were struggling with or what was, um, you know, the next issue that they felt like they had to tackle as they moved, you know, further down the path. Well, and as we get into the survey itself, uh, we're going to share some of our findings of what we saw. We're going to share some anecdotal stories behind some of the data. You'll see uh, our, our hashtag or our um, Twitter handles, where, as well as Derek's, you've got the hashtag ABM extra credit. If you also tag your, your comments today with hashtag silky smooth. So I'll be looking for that as well. But, um, you, know, you know, our initial questions, you know, we were trying to get a good wide range of organizations so we could represent and sort of do some slicing and dicing of different companies that were doing ABM. And I think it was interesting to look at even those, you know, you know, you know, these are, you know we're only polling B2B marketers. You know, we still only saw, you know, a little more than half of people that have that, that say they have an account based program in place. Yes. Yeah. And I think for the purposes of the survey as well, it's important to note that if people didn't toe the line, we didn't we didn't really count their results in the survey. So there were a number of folks who like you said, I hate to say attempted and failed, but just weren't ready to be included in the data set uh, that we uh, that we accumulated today. So you had to be somewhere along the piloting, scaling, or advanced uh, ABM journey in order to be um, to be included in the results here. This may be a question for you, maybe or or Silky Smooth. I mean, like, you know, does 61% surprise you? Do you feel like that's high? Do you feel like that's low? Kind of what 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 are you, what are your thinking like? Is we're in the almost with almost at the end of Q1 of 2019 here. Yeah, no, I think that's you know I hate to say the data is accurate, but I think the data is actually not only accurate but about what I would have expected. And I think sometimes folks are doing things that are ABM like, but they probably have recognized that they aren't necessarily running account based marketing. There's that old line of marketing to accounts versus account based marketing. And I think you know. A large portion of folks are still evolving their marketing to marketing to accounts, but haven't really embarked on the principles of account-based marketing. So 60 feels about right to me, Matt. I yeah. don't know if that if that aligns with your observations. Well, but. You know, I, I so to be honest, I felt like it was kind of high. And I think that, you know, when you look at this slide here, I think you see why. I think we were very heavy on tech companies. And in our experience, when you look at companies that are newer, companies that are, whether it's SaaS or just in technology and in, in, in software in general, we tend to see more advanced marketing programs as you get into more traditional industries. 
you tend not to see as big a MarTech stack. You tend to not see the penetration of some of the tools that many of us in tech take for granted. So because of that heavy heavy pull on the tech side, I wasn't surprised to see it that high. I think if we had a more even representation of some of the sort of old school industries, we'd probably see it, you know, in the 30s or 40s. Yeah, it's a good point. And, and I think I was probably understanding the audience here with my response too. But you're right, in general, it is probably higher than, than, uh, than what one would expect with uh, an all-inclusive kind of survey. Yeah, uh, cool. So, I mean, the other thing I think to point out here is that, you know, we were intentionally trying to get a sense from people across both sales and marketing for how they're perceiving account-based efforts. And you'll see a little bit of our, our segmentation in this study. And for those of you, I mean, obviously, we've only got a limited amount of time here in the webinar. Anyone who is everyone who is registered for everyone who's on this webinar today, you're going to get a copy of the full report with all of the data. So we'll make sure you get a copy of that so you can see some of the other pieces. But you know, I'm, it was exciting to be able to get both marketing and sales perspective on this because you know, good account-based work isn't really doesn't really work well unless sales and marketing are working together. But we still see evidence that sales and marketing have different perspectives and opinions about account-based marketing even today. Yes. So let's move on. Let's get into it. So when we asked sort of a fundamental question, you know, where does your company stand on the maturity curve? You know, how would you classify your organization's implementation? You know, the most most folks still indicate that they're in early stages. And, and it's and this is one where this is self-reported. So it could very well be if you looked across the spectrum of programs, if we actually were able to look at the 40 percent of people and like look at their programs, they could be far more advanced than they think. But I think like a lot of new programs, you know, you, you tend to see people undervaluing and undermeasuring a little bit sort of the, the, the maturity of their programs. We get, we're pretty self-critical. Yep. Yeah, no, and I think that shows why that number 60 might be higher than one might think. We have a large portion of that 60 that are very early when you look at how it spreads out. Yeah. Well, and I also think, you know, there's we, we talk to a lot of companies that are in that in the point at the point of having done some account based work um, and they're trying to figure out how to scale it. Right. They've done a pilot or they've tried a couple of what they you know, quote unquote campaigns. I think it was Craig Rosenberg at Topo that said, you know, doing ABM is not a campaign. It's a culture shift. Right. Yeah. You have to do the way you do, do business. And I think working through that, getting sales and marketing on the same page, you know, getting the data alignment in place to really sort of understand where customers are, you know, across a buying committee, across a buying journey, across different customer facing teams, that does get complicated. And I think that I think that sometimes is where people get stuck at that sort of 39.8% there. Yeah. I just to add to that, I also think there's there are companies where you talk to some people in the marketing organization, they will absolutely convincingly tell you we are doing account-based marketing, but they are, you know, a smaller segment of a larger marketing population that maybe not wouldn't have the exact same answer because they're they're operating, you know, in the more traditional kind of leads-based approach. So so there definitely is this we're running it as a project versus we're running it as a practice within our marketing, you know, strategy. Uh, and getting from one to the other is a a big leap and it's not a straight line either i think to your point it's you go through steps to get there but it's not it's not always predictable and easy well and it might be a little easier if this was really sort of a marketing campaign the marketing could control but because it requires cross departmental coordination not just head nodding but like day-to-day engagement that's where things fall apart and we saw that right getting programs off the off the ground here you know, it's not just sales and marketing alignment, but it's getting key people bought if body in on the concept of, of that organizational change we talked about. To a certain extent, I think, Derek, it, it means you have to kind of ABM yourself, right? Yes. So to get change across a complex buying committee inside your own organization. Yes. If you mean marketing inside of the company to tell 
to convince people why we should be doing something differently. I think that's absolutely a nice double entendre there, Matt. And I think it, it is interesting looking at the data, seeing some of the challenges that folks are having at early stages and at more mature stages are very different, right? So the challenges early, to your point, can be you know, just getting the larger organization to understand we're going to run things a little bit differently. We're going to measure them a little bit differently. Our success criteria are something you'll have to understand a little bit more intimately. And there's some more consensus and convincing that needs to happen where the more mature folks are having a whole different set of problems around measurement and data integration and consolidation of tech stacks and feature overlaps and, and who does what. And uh, it is it was interesting to look at the data and kind of understand where the maturity of the organization really informed a lot of what the obstacles they were faced with were. You know, I, I think a lot of people on this that are watching here today that are trying to figure out how to scale and create a more uh, sort of a long-term ABM program probably, you know, sort of resonate with the two points here we have on full maturity, you know, getting a better visual of, of really the impact and ROI of ABM and getting it integrated into the tech stack, right? Not just adding you know, new ABM tools, but making sure those new tools and systems and platforms are talking to and working with some of your other tools to create that cohesive experience. Talk, can you talk a little bit, Derek, about like why that's important, but also like what are the stepping stones to help organizations not have to do all that at once, but kind of do it in phases? Yeah, I mean, that's a big question, uh, it, especially when you're talking about well, the, both of them. The measurement piece is, is you know, just getting better understanding of how we're going to measure this thing at the beginning of the program across more than just the marketing team. Because, you know, the executive teams and the sales organization has been measuring marketing one way for a long period of time. And account-based principles require you to measure things a different way. And if you don't go through that exercise of having them deeply understand what the implications of the weekly and monthly scorecards are going to look like, then you can you can end up, you know, fighting some momentum challenges there. I think on the technology space, you know, it just as ABM gains traction inside of a customer, we see this a lot. Uh, the practitioners that are running ABM programs will see that they're looking to activate more channels and integrate more deeply, which requires getting the marketing operations team more intimately involved, you know, tying into the CRM system more natively, doing a whole bunch of, of stuff, which then can identify areas where the technology capabilities actually start to overlap and decisions have to get made on, you know, what is our actual platform for execution? What's our platform for measurement? How are we going to drive data and, and integrate data across those execution mechanisms and and really just understanding the implications of some of that at the beginning can help uh, companies, I think, be a little bit more prepared for it as they get through it yeah. and set and set the right the right, you know, the right groundwork in order to do so when they're ready. Can I put uh, I want to put Silky Smooth on the spot here as you look at this, you know, Tori, kind of as someone who is who is working on marketing and working on account based marketing within a company that sells an account based marketing platform. I don't know how many layers of. Of, uh, you know, there's the sort of uh, metas going on there. But I think, you know, as you look at this slide in particular and think about, you know, what are some of the challenges that even an advanced ABM company faces to do this effectively? And look, this stuff is hard. This is a very big change. What, what, uh, what stands out on this list and what are some things that from your perspective maybe aren't on the list that you're facing? Yeah, I think if I look at sales and marketing alignment, I don't feel like it's been a challenge for us recently, but it is something that's a focus. Like I think too many people think of it as something that you get to and then and then you're you're done and you're just executing on programs. 
And that's really something that should always be continually evolving so that you're getting stronger and stronger. What we thought was taught tight alignment nine months ago, you know, isn't uh, as tight as it is today. Reporting and measuring is always, always challenging as, as you're rolling out new types of programs, new, new things, making sure all of that's rolling up into, into a single thing. And then I think it's, uh, you know, just taking a lot of these different technologies we have and, and bringing it all together so that you can do that reporting and so that you can execute seamlessly uh, versus being in and out of a bunch of point point solutions. Yeah. One other thing, Tori uh, or Silky, as Matt refers to you, which I know we went through, you know, I've, I've been at Terminus now for, for almost uh, almost seven months, eight months. Uh, but as we were continuing to advance the state of ABM internally was that that time to results and that patience piece, you know, and I think when you're when you're converting to account-based marketing, and this is, you know, kind of a pro tip, I guess, I think we recognize, depending on who you are, what you're selling and what the sales cycle looks like, you just have to be prepared to be more per- patient and persistent with your account-based efforts because you can't just turn the crank and see and see leads come out the chute necessarily. So I don't know if you want to add some color on that because I thought that was pretty indicative of some of the things we learned you know, even three, six months ago. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it's interesting to watch the maturity of a category like this because I think we're used to seeing adoption rates happen with a new technology or new trend. And we're, you know, oftentimes we're used to seeing maturity, in, you know, raise the sophistication and and perceived impact of programs. I think, it, you know, we, we, we did some research recently on the content marketing side and we've actually, we, we asked some of the same questions we did two years ago around, you know, rating the effectiveness of your content or rating the effectiveness of, you know, mapping content to the members of the buying journey. And in two years, we've regressed in the content side. And I think that it's entirely possible that we'll see that on ABM too. You know, I think right. you, we've all heard of sort of like, you know, the the uh, sort of the, uh, the the path to product innovation that has the trough of disillusionment, right? Where you've seen some early results and then all of a sudden you're like, well, how do we now scale this? Um, you know, Seth Godin calls it the dip, right? Where you sort of face some adversity and a lot of people give up. And I think we may be in that moment with ABM. It doesn't mean that it's not working. doesn't mean it's not going to have a ton of value. And I think there, I mean, just like any industry, there's companies that have, that are on the other side of the mountain that are seeing significantly greater performance, significantly more efficient means of going after and, and, and acquiring and retaining their most important customers. But it requires that organizational change that doesn't always happen fast. Yeah. No, I think that trough of disillusionment is, is real. And, and I also think, you know, the metrics piece is a big part of it. And it was interesting in the survey, you know, I know we're going to get into some critical insights from the data here, which is great, but just a quick color point on that. You know, we asked folks what what technologies they were using across their kind of ABM initiatives. And I think north of 65% said they were using an ABM platform. But when we asked them how they were measuring ABM, the number one answer was CRM. And the number three answer, which probably people were surprised isn't the number one answer, was spreadsheets. And the ABM platform was like 34%. It was like the number six answer. So it was just interesting to me to have folks say, we're, we're using an ABM platform to execute ABM, but only a third of the respondents said, we're measuring ABM with our ABM platform. And it kind of was like, that doesn't make any sense to me. If you're, if you're running a marketing automation platform, you're measuring your marketing automation on your marketing automation platform, right? And so, you know, I think it just speaks to some of the, the, the current state of where we are from a technology tool and adoption perspective uh, pretty loudly. 
Uh, well, we that. struggle with the complexity of this a little bit, right? And I think, you know, the on the content side, we saw a we saw a decrease in satisfaction with measuring content's performance. And and when we dug into that, we said that we found something very similar to what you just said in that, you know, people previously were measuring content based on things that were easy to measure. They were looking at, you know, clicks and likes and impressions and things that were very activity based. And I think with ABM, it was easy to say, well, you know, people engaged with our campaigns and we saw more people do opening this direct mail or, you know, engaging with these banner ads. But to, but that's different than, you know, seeing the actual impact of, of what's working, right? And so what I thought was interesting is as we, as you guys have done this survey now for a couple of years and we asked some of the same questions over and over again, you say, okay, 2016, what were you measuring? We saw a very similar progression here that we've done the content side where revenue generation has become the predominant measure and goal of ABM. So, the, you know, despite the challenges we're facing, I, I think it's great to see this because that can become um, a lightning rod to put more focus and energy and coordination around ABM programs internally. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I think this is one of those areas where the data change over time is really impactful and meaningful, at least to me, I'm sure to, to others on the call as well. You can really see Whereas three years ago, it was kind of like, well, we want to do all these things. Now we're, it's very clear. The data is very clear. This is actually, we're, we're better, we're better, we're, we're more aware and better capable of tracking things at the end of the line. And that's actually what this, this exercise is all about, is how can sales and marketing partner together for the right accounts to actually drive business results, i.e. revenue. And uh, it's great to see. Uh, it was interesting to me looking at the number to see that leads for for some of the you know slightly advanced ABMers was uh, was still in there at a fairly high percentage and I think you know it'd be it'd be interesting to hear Tori's comments here I think one thing we see with our customers is um, you can't throw out your leads measurement when you adopt ABM even at Terminus where as you mentioned there's layers of ABM between selling it and running it at the same time we still measure our ABM results alongside of our lead funnel results together because they they are important and we try to as we collect leads, we're always trying to map them back to our account-based efforts because we know account-based efforts drive leads. But there is just inbound activity that drives good business for us for accounts that haven't been picked by us but still are good fits. So a pro tip there is just as you look at your measurement system, don't don't completely devoid leads from the mix. You have to still have some eye towards that. Uh, just you know, make sure it's in the context of the account-based efforts. Tori, do you want to comment on that? Yeah, well, one of the most, uh, the best examples I've heard recently, I was talking to one of our customers about a future web webinar, Optimize, and they talked about that they stay very strict to their TAM, their total addressable market. And if you're not in the in their TAM, then uh, you don't get any kind of attention or resources, but they built a process. They still have an inbound team. And when things come inbound, they have a process for the right accounts to go into their TAM because they're totally open to that. There's no tool out there and there's no perfect process to pick every every one of the accounts you should be selling to. So so making sure you you aren't neglecting those inbound people that are raising their hands and that you have a good process for making sure that you should give them resources uh, yes. is what's critical here. Yes. And there's there's target. There's your TAM. And then there's your target account list and the target account list should always be part of your TAM, but not your entire TAM, right? So you're running account-based efforts to a high propensity set of your, your, your TAM. You're going to need to drive interest from other channels 
within your TAM that aren't part of your target account list for most companies that service a broader, you know, cross section of customer types, uh, I would say. And so that's why lead reporting is still critical. Yeah, I mean, the other thing that's exciting to me about this trend of seeing revenue generation as a as a greater goal is I think, I mean, truly this could be a lightning rod to, to get coordination and velocity internally. Like when we talked earlier about sort of ABMing yourself, when you go to the organization and say, you know, I've got the new hashtag of the year and we need more money to do these things. It just feels like more spend. If you can go and say, this is about extracting greater revenue performance from sales and marketing, right? When you can look at your performance as a unit, sales and marketing together and say, we can be more efficient and this is a way to get there. And if you can even sort of point out the opportunity cost, like there's, you know, we've, I, we have an ROI calculator that, you know, many companies have used to sort of try to identify in the trailing 12 months, how much money, how much revenue could, how much sales could they have generated if they had tighter sales and marketing alignment via an ABM program. And so even if it's a ballpark number, that revenue, that incremental revenue number, that incremental high margin revenue number becomes something that is not just sales and marketing getting together, but your executive team starts to get excited about as well. Yep. I think that's a good point. Talk about this one a little bit, guys. I mean, when we looked at sort of sales and marketing being aligned in terms of goals for ABM and people sort of ranking their top three, I thought it was interesting to see this mapped against stages of ABM implementation. Derek, what is what stands out to you in this? There's a lot of a lot of data here, but what do you think the highlights are? There is, and I looked at this chart for a long time because it, you know I talked myself into multiple multiple theories as I looked at it, but I think the two that jumped out for me, one was you know if you look at the ones that are more advanced. They're more, they're, they are definitely looking at NCA, new customer acquisition, new business acquisition, new logos, if you will. Uh, but they're increasingly and much higher uh, likely to be looking at things like both pipeline acceleration and cross-sell and upsell. And uh, I actually think that's part of the evolution of, of ABM is it's more than just going and finding customers that we haven't established a relationship with. It's how can ABM serve other very critical and sometimes higher margin business activities as well, like moving folks who are engaged but not purchasing fast enough through the pipeline with an aligned effort between sales and marketing that's driven by intelligence about the account, right? That's pipeline acceleration. And we see at Terminus, we see a lot more of our customers coming to us with initiatives and campaigns driven at that business objective. So it was interesting to me to see that, you know, whatever color blue that is line in the second category noticeably up and to the right. What was also interesting to me, and I think this will play out, I'm going to make a prediction here, next year in the survey, is that customer retention still hasn't really registered as something that people are looking at, and I think it actually should be. Right. Uh, and account-based principles and the account-based tactics, whether it's you know aligning your digital ad strategy with your direct mail strategy and your customer success team outreach cadence, along with emails around product use, uh, that's absolutely something where ABM principles can drive retention in a much, you know, in a much better way. Uh, so it'll be interesting, interesting to see next year how that category shifts. I, I'm, but I'm predicting you can go. I'm going to go on record here that that's one that will come up quite a bit, given what uh, we're seeing from our customer base. Yeah, so. I could not agree with you more on that. And I think at the risk of making this uh, this a hot take, I, I think this is a little okay. bit of an indictment of where B2B marketers have put their focus. I mean, we, we put so much of our focus on acquiring customers and so little focus on, 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 in, on extending that experience and creating ongoing insights and value and experience for customers to increase lifetime value. And so I think if, if, we, if we know that retaining customers is more efficient than acquiring customers, if we know that it's more profitable in a SaaS business in particular, you know, to, to keep your customers longer, 
why wouldn't we apply these account-based efforts directly to customer retention and lifetime value? I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that I think that that is that is a huge opportunity for companies to uh, to improve their execution. Okay, if you thought the last chart had a lot of lines and colors, this one this one we're gonna we're we're taking it up another notch. Jesse Fat Tuesday doing a little Emerald Lagasse here. Uh, so similar looking chart, different questions. So we we wanted to say, take those you know what reasons why ABM has been a challenge, and also ask why based on different stages of ABM execution maturity. Was not surprising to me to see that the measurement and reporting tended to be the largest across everyone. I yes. thought it was interesting that that it was it was bigger for the earlier stage and maybe some of the sort of the middle stage groups. But again, what stood out to you here? What 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 was surprising to you either sort of high or low in this data? Yeah, well I just echo your point on measurement. That comes up again and again and again is is an easy, simple way that I can measure and show results from ABM is you know something that we're helping our customers with every day. But when we talk to customers who have been who weren't our customers to begin with, who are now becoming our customers, but have been running ABM for a period of time. That's one of the key pain points that they have. Uh, what was also interesting to me, if you look way on the right, allocating budget to account-based initiatives, and the only group that really showed you know, a marketable response around that being a challenge is the more advanced group. So I actually think that's incredibly enlightening because it, it further validates that as you get deeper into ABM and running ABM more as a as a practice in your organization, as opposed to a side project, if you aren't able to measure it down the line, it becomes increasingly difficult to continue to fund it. And, and a lot of that is due to just some of the, the churn we see in the sales and marketing you know, workforce, right? So I had a team that was aligned around account-based principles being the best way for me to drive quality growth for my company, but my chief revenue officer or my chief marketing officer or my VP of sales turned over and, and now if I don't have that way to show the new person what we're doing easily in a way that they're familiar with, then I got to go through a whole nother budgeting cycle where I've got to convince them on the, the doctrine of account-based principles. And um, so that was an interesting data point to me as well. Yeah, I, I was, I was, that stood out to me too, and, but for a different reason. I look at that and I, I think about the anecdotal stories we saw in the survey and that we've seen from our customers that are at that stage. And it's an indication that you may have marketing at an advanced, advanced stage, you may have sales and marketing together, but when it comes to doubling down on something that even is perceived as successful, finding budget to put into that often means taking budget away from something else. And so I think a lot of companies struggle with where to find, where to reallocate those dollars on something that is still perceived as new, uh, still yeah. perceived as early stage. So I, I wasn't surprised to see that. And I think that, you know, but you also saw the measurement side lowest for that advanced group, right? Still a high number overall, but yeah. lowest. So I think, you know, the recipe there to me is get better at reporting, get better at measuring those, those, those ROI stats and find out how you can compare that to other marketing that's being done so you can show that you're that the ABM programs are more efficient, more effective and therefore deserve more dollars. Yes. Yeah. Good point. You know, obviously list selections are a really big part of target of uh, of account-based efforts. And so we were really curious, you know, once you've identified, you know, who your target account, what your criteria is, you know, how are you building those lists? What are the factors you're using? You know, industry stood out as a significant piece. I was actually happy to see that number of employees was not the top number just because a company is the biggest doesn't mean it's your best target. I was a little disappointed that signals were so low. Um, yeah. Because I think signals can be some of the best indicators that someone is ready to buy from you. What, what stood out for you here? 
Well, just that. I mean, I think that it, this appeared to me to be overly simplistic. Frankly, I'm not sure if I would say that's the right approach. I don't think, I think we have a lot to learn here. What we see is our best customers are using more advanced ways to, you know, strategically micro segment their TAM based on things like intent or things like technographics or other pieces of data like engagement data to be much more targeted and specific. And and I think, well, actually I'll I'll ask Tori here because I know we've, there's a balance between using data and data science to drive list creation and also, you know, using some qualitative stuff in your, in your sales team to, to help drive list creation. So, and I, we went through that learning curve at Terminus internally, and we've certainly seen our customers do the same. So Tori, I don't know if you want to share kind of some of even what we're living through today, working with our, with our sales teams on our micro segmentation and target list creation for various ABM programs. Yeah, I think there's two challenges here when you're when you're really talking about execution. One, I think a lot of people out there are faced with how do they take action on the data? So they're kind of I I've hear, heard a lot of people say I've got intent data, what do I do with it now? Right. So right. being able to to build those workflows and that that goes into how mature your processes are, but also getting that right tool stack. And then I think there's also the the sales side of it, which is what we're facing right now. It's easy for us marketers to start, you know, getting really cute and think about all kinds of different ways that we could slice and dice things. But sometimes, you know, our SDR teams aren't ready to manage 10 different messaging streams. Correct. Um, going with tech stacks, you know, I think uh, with with the tools like Sales Loft and and such, where where people are running these cadences, that it's really helped. SDR managers and sales managers be able to understand how the messaging is getting out there and make sure everyone uh, is doing the right right steps. But it's also seeming to make it harder to get people to use different messaging. Uh, so that definitely has to be taken advantage before you start thinking about doing too much segmenting, at least as far as different messaging, make sure your your sellers are ready to support that. Good point. That's a good point. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about budgets. We are certainly seeing more budgets. I think, you know, we're seeing people start to build in ABM programs, build in, you know, line items for the tech stack they need to to do ABM on an ongoing basis. I'm I'm happy to see that, you know, most companies that are thinking about ABM ongoing are no longer thinking about it in a campaign mentality. They're thinking about ABM as an ongoing effort to engage their audience. Um, it does seem, though, that, you know, from past years, yes. the spend has slowed. And this isn't this shouldn't be surprising if you've been listening to the last 25 minutes of this data, but I'm, you know, and so it's it's possible that if we do this and then, you know, over the next couple of years, as we as we sort of rise back up through that trough of disillusionment, that we'll see this accelerate again. Yes, and I think that so, you know, what, there's a couple of things here. Like when we looked at the data, some some folks said, "Oh my goodness, the, it, the pace of investment is slowing," because I think last year it was like 78 or 80 percent versus 59. But what what strikes me here is I think we're we're, we're a little too over uh, indexed on ourselves. Like the the fact that the decrease is 2.8 percent is pretty remarkable. So, you know that just says if you're running ABM, you're obviously doing a good job of protecting your spend because you know marketing budgets get compressed. We all know this. We live through it. So I, I think uh, you know l- let's not over analyze the difference between 60 and 78 percent. I think overall it may be slowing a bit. And I think your point is right on. Like I think the industry is picking their head up and saying, how am I measuring ABM? Is it incrementally better? Uh, is it driving better quality growth? Should I be using it in other areas of my business? How do I reconcile it with how everyone marketing for a long period of time? 
and which channels of my sales organization do I roll it out to uh, if I'm thinking about expanding it. Uh, and I think people are going through that process now, which is why what was kind of a, you know, for, for two years, all we did was talk about ABM, but didn't do anything about it. And then yeah. for two years, we did a whole bunch of stuff about ABM, but it wasn't really all that well organized. And now I think we're saying, okay, ABM's real, it's driving value, but I need to be more thoughtful with how I budget around it, I think is what we're seeing here. That'd yeah. be my, my takeaway. Well, the other thing to keep in mind is that, you know, this is, you know, ABM is different than, you know, building media plans in the past where the size of your media plan indicated the complexity or size of your program. I mean, it actually could be a sign of maturity that we see companies starting to see greater efficiency from what they're doing with account-based marketing efforts and driving better performance without having the same linear growth in spend. Like that could actually be a good thing. It is. And I think the other thing is, the the survey respondents here were were more than more often than not marketing folks and if ABM really is an aligned sales and marketing program you know the spend for an ABM program is is more than just your marketing spend it's you know when people are running sophisticated ABMs they're they're actually bringing in higher level and maybe more sales development folks that can have more intelligent conversations more nuanced conversations with buyers around what that account would benefit from by purchasing their solution. And, uh, and so I, I do think the, the spend conversation here is something we have to actually have to figure out how we broaden beyond just looking at the marketing spend and look at the overall, how am I investing my go-to-market resources against ABM? Yeah, I thought, you know, this is interesting to see what, you know, sort of appears to be a slowdown of, of adding to the ABM tech stack. I think to me, this represents, you know, the, the ABM industry, I would say as a whole has done a pretty good job. And, you know, some companies more than others to say, if you're doing ABM, you have to buy this particular product, right? But, you know, you and I both know, like, you know, your technology is not your strategy, right? The, the technology implementation of your strategy. So I think, you know, we're seeing, com- I've seen plenty of companies buy tools, not know how to use them, not get the full value of them because they haven't had a strategy. I think this is a sign of maturity that we see companies slowing down a little bit, still investing in technology, but doing it in a more thoughtful way so that they can see better ROI and results from it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you know we're we're tech saturated, and I think if we if there was a if there was a place in the this presentation where we would put Scott Brinker's slide, it would be here. And it does feel like you can't do one of these webinars without showing his slide, but we've managed to do that. Although I've now broken it by speaking about it, but look, there's a lot of tools. People have purchased a lot of tools. A lot of those tools come with you know the moniker account based whatever. And I do think what we see what we see with our customers is they are now looking at at a tool set that is. It has vendors which are growing the features and the capabilities of those tools, and there is definite overlap, and they have to be much more thoughtful about, for each of the things I'm trying to do, which is the best tool or set of tools to help me get that done, to help me scale it, to help me measure it, to help me, you know, run it effectively. And and we are seeing areas where, you know, these platforms, account-based marketing being one of them, where multiple use cases are being serviced by by a single technology now, and it, it may present an opportunity to consolidate where I was using multiple tools. All right, get to the finish line here. Let's talk a little bit about sort of the plan for 2019. You know, it, again, we look at this data based on different stages of maturity, but wanted to ask people like, what do they intend to do different this year? We, we did, I mean, the pretty solid consensus from all groups that they do intend to add technology yes. to fill the gaps of what they have. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. that with, you know, especially once you're informed by what's working and what's maybe not in your organization is good. Uh, very interesting to see the outlier there in the second one from the advanced group. Yes, it is. And I think, 
if you, and I think we have some, there's always learnings to do with surveys, right? If you, if you ask someone, if you find a gap, are you going to fill it? Then most people are, not many people will say no, right? Like that seems odd. If I have a gap I need to address, yes, I'm going to try to fill it. But what was more remarkable to me is that the folks that are more advanced are recognizing kind of not to make a point to, to support my previous point, but they are realizing that they have too much technology in some cases. And a lot of it has overlapping capabilities and they should be thinking about how can they go back to their strategic vendors and say, I need you to do more for me and I'm going to invest in you being, you know, my use case A, use case B and use case C. And, and I'm going to stop spending on something else. And we actually see that a lot with our customers, whether it's, whether it's the measurement capabilities and the marketing attribution, which we built in our platform, you know, through our Bright Funnel acquisition and, and helping our customers consolidate some areas where they were investing in, in other tracking technologies or targeting, you know, data aggregation, execution systems, et cetera. There's just a lot of overlap, frankly. So I'm not, I'm not terribly surprised to see that, that tick up in the more advanced folks. I, I would agree. I would agree. All right. Hey, uh, Steve, speak of the silky smooth. We got any, we got any audience questions we need to cover here? We do have a couple questions here. Uh, please put in more if you have them. I think uh, we have a duo. So one person asks, can you elaborate on how companies are using signals to drive their ABM efforts? And then another person, if I sum this up, basically says they're not sure intent signals work well for long sales cycles how how do you see those being effective so so maybe explain what kind of signals people are using and then for those that have longer sales cycles how's intent factor in yep um i can give that a, a quick a quick uh perry matt if you, if you don't mind you can add in if that's, if that sounds good i mean i think signals are like i like uh, i've used the term digital body language i think that's been written about a few times is is kind of you know, what kind of indications is an account showing in market, whether it's on my existing website or sales channels or marketing channels or out in the wild. And they're very different. They're very different ways of, of capturing those things. Out in the wild is kind of this thing that, that we call intent. And signals can be really anything from signals they're showing based on product usage, signals they're showing based on activity on, you know, my personal brand website, uh, signals they're showing in the sales process or, or somewhere out in the wild. Uh, and I think intent for me is just what's happening out in the larger internet, which is showing where individuals that are associated with companies are doing, uh, are consuming content around certain areas that may be indicative of them being interested or having a need for the solution your company provides. And to the point on, and I, so I think we see with our customers, like we integrate Bumbora into our platform. Bumbora does a great job of uh, capturing activity out in the wild and putting it into subjects so that you can monitor subjects that may be adjacent to or indicative of your solution and then use that in your targeting criteria, which can trigger, you know, outreach campaigns, which, which can trigger advertising campaigns, which can trigger lots of different things in your marketing mix. And we definitely see from our customer base where they are employing intent or signal activity in how they're segmenting and then executing account-based efforts, we see much higher returns, much higher engagement rates. You know, we use it within our own practices. Tori, I know you know this at Terminus. I think for longer sales cycles and look for our platform, it can be, you know, eight to 12 months in some cases, intent still should be used. I, I don't think you're going to drive to a transaction, but you may be capable of presenting good material based on what you're seeing if it's more research indicative or more kind of competitive assessment indicative, 
and making sure that your marketing material and your sales outreach is conditioned around that intelligence is, is really, really important. The last thing I'll say on this, not to belabor the point, is I feel it's really critical when you're looking at intent that you're doing it with an account-based lens uh, because individual intent is one thing, but when you see multiple individuals at an account doing certain things, it shows that that account is you know, on a project that, that may be relevant to you. So there's lots of spikes of intent around an individual that may just be a person who's researching for a job they might be interviewing for. But when you see multiple individuals, you know, different individuals at a company doing things on different properties, I think it really does, does show a much more of a propensity to engage. So that's just a tip for, for those of you out there thinking about intent and how to use it in your ABM approaches. And I would add there's other types of intent and data. So like G2 Crowd, you can see when somebody's researching a competitor. DataFox can tell you things like who's going, uh, what accounts are going to a particular conference. So there's more and more data sources and yep. finding creative ways to use it's a competitive advantage. Uh, here's another one. I think it's a good one, but probably hard. So I'll see what y'all come up with. What's the yeah. average number of months to see results from an ABM campaign? Right. I'm going to ask you that question, Tori. You run it. <laughs> yeah. I, I think there's probably too much, too many variables there to give an accurate answer. But I, are we talking campaign or like your full program? But it definitely can take, you know, here, if we roll out a new, a new type of campaign, it may take two to six weeks to, to see the results. And generally, we're linking several touch points together. So it's more in like the two month time frame before you know what that does. Yeah. And then Derek just shared our sales cycle. So you're not going to know the real answer to if that works until you've gone through the sales cycle and seen, seen how that revenue is converting. But I think you definitely want to set the expectation that it's not going to be till the end of the quarter or the next quarter that you're going to know if your pilot program's doing well. But with that, make sure you're setting yourself up for small wins and just take a small win at a time. Uh, the program that we're running now really took nine months to get going and started out really simple getting buy-in before we got to where it was a pretty mature, complex program. Yeah, and I think also... And, and Tori's being a bit humble here as usual, but having gates along the way that show, and I think for us, account engagement is is a critical measurement that we we provide through our platform and we use internally using our platform on Terminus to show for my target accounts after I've gone through that, uh, those cycles of I'm going to be in market against those accounts with multiple channels of message delivery, digital ads, emails, sales sales outreach, direct mail a way of measuring how is that account engaging today versus what engagement they were showing prior to the program starting. And to Tori's point, like, you know, give yourself a couple of months to let it soak in. I mean, it's a noisy market out there and most of us operate in competitive markets with lots of, lots of buyer, you know, buyer overload. So you just have to be patient and persistent and, and measure like heck to make sure you you know kind of where you're seeing early results. But give it time. Nothing wins more than patience and persistence, provided you have a good solution. And let's just assume we all do. So so time is definitely, you know, something you have to give to these programs. Here Tori, I got I got I got one kind of chatted at me and that was just a little bit of clarity on the report itself. So just before we, we wrap up here, you know, this the data we've shared with you today is uh, is a subset of a 42 page report which will be 
made available to you post webinar. It'll be released uh, publicly next week. And we shared some of the snippets and outtakes from the data, but I would just say, having gone through it a number of times now, there's, there's a bunch more stuff that provides great insight. And for those of you that are building cases around expanding account-based marketing you know, within your organizations, I think it's a great place to have a reference point to show people in your company how others are doing things and where the industry is as a whole. So just to, just to clarify that, that report is available next week as webinar participants. You'll get an early copy of it here in the next couple of days. So just a heads up on that. So what's the best coordination of efforts from sales and marketing to land and expand? The best coordination of efforts. So I'm assuming like, how do I run a, how do I run a land and expand account-based marketing program is the crux of that question. And what, you know, what, um, you know, what should I be looking at? I think for, for me, a lot of this depends on the solution that you have. And if you have one that is one that grows over time. So I start by selling to a small number of users and then I sell to a large number of users if I'm successful or one where I've got a feature that people buy. And then there's other features that I monetize within that user base as they get more advanced on the program. Um, if it's the latter, I think you really have to be aware of what the product use is. So I would say, as you look at third-party intent data, you know, sure, leverage it, but don't discount the intelligence you have for how that company and those users are interacting with your existing offer and make sure that you use that in your segmentation exercise. And then I think, you know, you, you've got to get but just like you have to align with sales on an account acquisition strategy, you know, aligning with your customer success team and your account management team is um, is the same for a land and expand or cross sell upsell program. So, you know, sometimes those organizations are very different and have different MOs and different measurements and different success criteria for themselves. Um, so make sure you take the time to understand those organizations and involve them in the process would be the two points that I would call out. Perfect. And with that, I think we've run up on time. Yes. I'd like to thank both you, Derek and Matt, for uh, taking the time to walk through these results with us. Absolutely. Thank you, Silky Smooth. You did a great job. Thanks, Appreciate Matt. It. And thanks, everyone, for joining. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.